you know a spot. But not just a spot. The spot. Actually, with the 2023 Nissan Frontier, you know a bunch of them. But the key to these great spots? Being able to reach them in the first place. Your spot is out there. Find your Frontier in the 2023 Nissan Frontier with standard 310 horsepower, advanced tech, and 281 pound-feet of torque. State Farm Insurance knows that understanding and investing in our cultural identity is paramount in protecting our future. We know what it's like to go from nothing to something to wish that we had better financial literacy when we were younger. Luckily, State Farm is here to help with funding programs like Project Ready, which is committed to education achievement and has already awarded over $11 million in scholarship offers to black and brown youth since 2021. State Farm believes that being better neighbors creates better communities. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. My dad works in B2B marketing, but I never really knew what that meant. Then one day, my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man. Then he just kept saying things like, the more MQLs, the better, over and over. My friends still laugh at me to this day. I think it means marketing qualified lead. One thing's for sure. I'll be known as the MQL man's kid for the rest of my days. Why couldn't you just be a fireman or a lawyer? Why? You ruined my life, Dad. Not everyone gets B2B, but LinkedIn has the people who do. And with ads on LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people based on job title, industry, likelihood to buy, and more. Start converting your B2B audience into high-quality leads today. We'll even give you $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com customer to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com customer. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. Afrotech 2016, San Francisco, California. Michael Seibel, who is today managing director of Y Combinator, the renowned startup accelerator, is on the main stage doing Q&A with the audience about startups, investing, strategy, and getting accepted into YC. He's asked a question from someone in the audience about how he might advise a person interested in entrepreneurship about what sort of business is best for them to pursue. Now, this clip was especially important for me to play on this episode because we talk so much about unicorns versus lifestyle businesses in tech. And in my view, erroneously discourage our peers from building companies that may not be suitable for venture funding. Let's listen in. I'm not here to tell you what kind of business to build at all. And anyone who's trying to give you advice on how you're going to spend the next seven to 10 years of your life shouldn't be telling you what to build or how to build it or why you want to build it. Um, That's on you. So I think I have friends who've made lifestyle businesses that allow them to work 10 hours a month and make $50,000 a month. They lead great lives. If you want to do that, I'll support you 100%. Um, I've got friends who've tried to make the billion dollar startup three, four, five times and failed each time. I support them too. Um, Where YC operates is in this kind of narrow, very narrow group of companies. It's tech companies that want to be super high growth. So the advice I'll give you is about that. If you want to do that, I can give you some guidance on what the community is looking for and how you can go about trying to do that successfully. Um, but I have like absolutely no opinion on whether that's the thing you should be doing. 
um, everyone's got to choose that for themselves. So, um, yeah, I got nothing bad to say about people talking about other paths at all. I'm Will Lucas. This is Black Tech, Green Money. I'm going to introduce you to some of the biggest names, some of the brightest minds, and brilliant ideas. Feel black in building or simply using tech to secure your bag? This podcast is for you. Kai Bond is an investor, founder, and entrepreneur who serves as partner at Corsi VC, which focuses on sports, gaming, and fitness verticals. I asked Kai about the differences between sports of yesteryear and the sports of today, and why the sports of today is ripe for innovation in ways it's never been before, and how that opportunity creates a lane for people like me and you to capitalize. Sports used to be a game, and now it's culture. Um, when you look at you know, what's going on with cap, what you see in the English Premier League, um, where players are taking a knee before every game. Um, when you think about the power of sports in society, it's one of the things that can bring us together. It's one of the things that divides us. Sports and sports figures, athletes, you see it today in social media, their influence is outsized. And, you know, the shut up and dribble, you know, conversation that, ha- that happened, you know, we're talking about individuals who are transforming society at a faster pace, I would argue, than politicians are, because they're at the forefront of the discussion every day. And so when we think about sports and investing in sports, a lot of people put us in a bubble of sports technology and fitness and what goes on. But I think you cannot invest in sports and be blind to the fact that we are talking about cultural movements that are happening within this space. Um, And that's been true for years, right? Um, Ever since the raised fist at the Berlin Olympics, when Hitler refused to shake hands, like these literally on a podium, right? You know, this this is where we are as a society. And with the amplification of the voices through social media, um, you know, you're seeing sports really playing a huge part of culture, not only in the U.S., but globally. You know, I, I remember talking to um, Delane Parnell, who, you know, is one of the biggest um, esports gaming companies around right now, uh, growing really fast yeah. um, from Play Versus. And I remember him saying that historically, for a kid to get a varsity letter, they had to be fit. They had to run fast. They had to hit hard. And now you can be a great gamer and win a state trophy uh, because of companies like Play Versus. Um, and I, maybe it was Mark Andreessen who said this next thing, but he said something about like how when user interfaces become very mature, that's when they get mass, that's when technology gets mass adoption. When, you, when user interfaces are difficult, people don't grasp onto it. But when the user interface is fluent, um, more people can use it because it's easier to use. Um, I'm still not sure, maybe I'm wrong, but I'm still not sure we've seen um, mass adoption with regards to gaming yet as an industry. And I could be wrong, um, but what will it, and here's the position I come from, is what will it take to get more parents to see past the idea that little Billy isn't just playing games, but he is playing games, but there's a larger opportunity there. Yeah, yeah, I, I think... The most powerful thing that Mark Andreessen ever said, in my perspective, is software is eating the world, right? And I think today, I would argue that gaming is eating the world, right? He just took the board seat of Axie Infinity, 
Um, Axie Infinity is a game where you can play to earn real money in the game. Um, they're creating a massive economy. This economy will be larger than some countries. Some people are quitting their jobs just to play this game all day, right? And so I think the way that we view gaming is transformative in terms of, and I wrote a long blog post about this, but the next big social network, the next big Facebook that we think of today in TikTok is going to be in a game. Like, like Fortnite. I would argue that that's already happening, right? Fortnite. Roblox. Um, kids growing up today are, their first social experience is in Roblox, yeah. right? That's how they're meeting people. Yeah. This is their social network. It's this their LinkedIn. I, I tweeted that it was, Roblox is their LinkedIn. Yeah, that's, that's where you go, right? And so when I think about generational change, right? So I'm 42. When I, you know, my parents' idea of playing games was going to an arcade, right? Yeah. It was like, this is what you do wow. on a Friday night at nine o'clock and you Pizza. go and meet somebody yeah. and you play arcade game. Yeah. And, you know, the Chuck E. Cheese era, right, coming up, like, this is a family entertainment experience. You go to do it. <clears throat> if you just look at the, our generation, I, I was part of the console generation, right? So, likewise, Super Nintendo, and yes. You know, and then you got the port, you know, your Game Boys, right? Um, and today I would argue that everybody is carrying a console in their pocket, right? In mobile yeah. gaming now, globally, $75 billion a year industry, right? Gaming is $160 billion a year industry annually. So you can take the box office, music sales, and television without the streaming services, and it doesn't add up to that, that total TAM. And the, 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 the misconception is, you know, you can ask somebody, you know, particularly you, you ask a middle-aged man or woman, are you a gamer? And they say, no. Say, well, do you play games on your phone? Yes. What do you play? I play Golf Clash. I play Words with Friends. I only play a little bit, you know, during lunch and then after work on the commute home. And I'm like, you play 30 minutes of games a day, but you don't consider yourself a gamer, right? So, you know, you're seeing the acceptance of my generation that grew up with consoles now saying, well, gaming's not actually bad. Like it didn't lead to the detrimental things that people thought it would, right? You know, the early days of GTA, the early days of first person shooters. It's, it's just not, the, the stigma associated with it is still there, but the industry is massive. And I think that we've seen a generational change of people who grew up playing games in a home and now we're starting to see people play games anywhere, right? And that's why you see the growth in mobile. Mobile will surpass the total revenue generated in gaming than console and PC combined next year. Um, and that, you know, when we have an investment in India, very little console penetration. Everybody's playing mobile games. India is by far the world's largest gaming market with the exception of China. And if you look at the numbers and the sheer amount, and, and it will surpass China given the recent regulatory changes that have gone in limiting the amount of time kids can play games. So, you know, I think we're in a moment in time where we talk about the metaverse, we talk about the Pokemon Go's, you talk about Roblox, you talk about Fortnite, that this is the way people are gonna socialize. And this is a game, we were a digital native generation, this is a game native generation. Seeing our communities grow and thrive is something we care deeply about here at Black Tech Green Money. State Farm Insurance also cares about the growth of black communities. They're actively investing in programs and initiatives that help provide financial literacy, give early career advice, and grow black-owned businesses, thus leading to generational wealth. 
which helps protect the future of our communities. We want to build a future that we all can be proud of. State Farm understands that representation alone doesn't equate to authenticity. It also requires active sponsorship of programs like the AXO, a year-long program that recognizes and rewards high school students for their academic and cultural achievements, along with funding programs like Project Ready, a national urban league program committed to educational achievement of black and brown youth that has awarded over $11 million in scholarship offers to date. State Farm believes that being better neighbors creates better communities and can have a long-lasting impact. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. You know a spot, but not just a spot, the spot. Actually, with the 2023 Nissan Frontier, you know a bunch of them. But the key to these great spots? Being able to reach them in the first place. Your spot is out there. Find your Frontier in the 2023 Nissan Frontier with standard 310 horsepower, advanced tech, and 281 pound-feet of torque. How do we level the playing field for all entrepreneurs? 55% of white businesses survive the startup phase, while only 4% of black businesses do the same. So I want every black entrepreneur to know about the 1 Million Black Businesses Initiative. The 1 Million Black Businesses Initiative is an award-winning program created by Shopify and Operation Hope. They're on a mission to start, grow, and scale 1 million black businesses by 2030, driving wealth creation for the black community. Out of 6 million employer-owned businesses in the U.S., only 2.3% have black ownership. This program gives black entrepreneurs tools and resources to level the playing field, from free business coaching to tailored training and extended free Shopify trial. Shopify's made a 10-year, multi-million dollar commitment to the program, and it's working. The initiative already started, supported, and engaged with over 334,000 black businesses, helping them operate businesses that sell anything from skateboards to coffee beans to apparel. Business owners love this program. Simone Harvin, founder of SC Creative Group, says, The 1 million black businesses experience for me was unlike any other program I've been a part of, primarily because it was for us and it was by us. Here at Drink Champs, we are always interacting with our listeners, many being black entrepreneurs. Shopify is one of those platforms that empowers and emboldens entrepreneurship. So chart your own path for business success with the 1 Million Black Businesses Initiative and Shopify. Bring your business to Shopify with an exclusive offer at shopify.com slash B-E-N, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash B-E-N. Interesting. So particular to like the things we talk, you talked about with like Roblox and Fortnite, you know, I have little kids and for them, you know, they think nothing about spending real dollars to have dollars in the game. Right. And I I wonder what your perspective is on how they will grow up, you know, being, let's say, sub 12, sub 12 years old. And I don't know if you have kids or not, but you, you study this. So how how will they grow up in a world? How will their their thinking be structured around value? So is me having a whole 12 foot wall 10 foot high full of sneakers and boxes of you know old jordans they will have a virtual world of you know digital tchotchkes like you know gems that they got in 2020 (laughs) you know it's like how how will they think about these things yeah it's a great question and so we're investors in StockX out of Fund One, right? And if you're a sneakerhead, you've got kicks, you've been on GOAT, you've been on StockX, 
you don't see your sneakers as a utility, right? You see them as a luxury item. Um, and, and what we saw in, in this last 10 years of innovation in the internet space, particularly around a gig economy and ownership, like the fact that you would say, yeah, I'm just going to put my crib on Airbnb. Like people were crazy when Airbnb came out. People were like, are you insane? You're going to stay at a stranger's house? You're going to let somebody stay in your crib? Like, nah, that's not possible. That's not going to happen, right? And now it's like, I'd rather stay at an Airbnb than a hotel, right? And so the idea of ownership is changing rapidly in our society. And again, I go back, it's generational change. What was cool for my parents' generation was a Ford Mustang, a muscle car, like, that was who you were that represented a piece of your identity this generation grew up and was like who cares about a car i can take an uber anywhere it's going to cost me less i don't have to worry about maintenance and parking and alternate side i'll just take ubers everywhere and it's going to cost me less on a monthly basis so this leads us to a game native generation so fortnite generates 2.1 2.3 billion dollars a year selling skins that's it that's their business model. Why? Because if you buy an NFL jersey or you buy a Marvel character jersey to skin your character in the game, that's the representation to your peer group. No different than owning that Mustang or having a pair of Yeezys or having a skin in Fortnite. So when people talk about, oh, I don't believe in NFTs, this stuff is fleeting, I'm like, you're not in touch with reality. You don't understand how you view digital assets. You might have dope artwork on your wall. Well, guess what? I got an NFT in my virtual world. It's no different. It's the exact same thing. It represents who you are. It's part of your identity. And so, you know, we're very bullish on the NFT space. And I think even more so digital has this unique opportunity that we're going to see emerge in fractional ownership. So in the same way we had a gig economy, the same way you treated an asset, you were willing to sell it or lease it digital opens up completely new opportunities. And so when you talk about NFTs, oh, I created an original piece of art as an artist. I'm not, but I say I did. And I sell that. And now it gets resold for 10x because there's a smart contract associated with it. I get a portion of that use, that, that secondary transaction or the, the third flip of that item as it goes up over time. So it unlocks additional value. The same way StockX unlocks value, which is you can buy a pair of kicks, hold them, flip them, and you're going to get the proceeds. Now the artist, the creator, whoever it is, can actually you know, accrue that value. And I think that's going to be something lasting in the ecosystem that really changes the way you know, art and assets are monetized over time. And so we're very bullish on you know, digital art, you know, what NFTs mean, digital ownership over time. Because again, it is just an item you own that represents your identity. Just because it's in a virtual world, it doesn't mean it's any less or more so than the artwork or the kicks that you wear. When you, you specifically, Kai, are looking to invest in gaming, is, is it game developers you're particularly looking for? Is it esports platforms? Is it leagues that you're interested in? Like, what's interesting to you that's happening in the space? Yeah, we have a very um, diversified approach to gaming because I think, you know, people tend to lump gaming into here's a studio creating a game. Right. And we do that. We, we, we certainly invested in, um, you know, a handful of studios. Um, we love the idea that, you know, to me, gaming is, is not that different than somebody who's creating an album 
or a movie, right? You're creating a new piece of work. You're putting your heart and soul in it and you hope somebody loves it, right? And, and it's a creative endeavor. And so, you know, from our perspective, that's where most of the money in the ecosystem flows today. So we'll continue to make investments in that space. Um, we tend to put the second bucket as what are we investing in terms of uh, social and community? Esports is part of that, right? When you look at uh, one of our early investments, we were early investors in 100 Thieves. Um, they're an esports team, but they're really a lifestyle brand, right? You, you, you see they're making money not only from competing, but they're making money from merch, right? From content. Um, it's an entertainment in, in a brand business. Um, and so, you know, we'll invest in esports. We invest in a lot of real money gaming. So, you know, there's a lot of regulatory change going on in the ecosystem across the U.S. to allow legalized gambling. Um, you know, we play at that. It's the intersection of sports and gaming, right? It's what keeps people engaged in the game where you might be watching a three and a half hour game. There's actually 30 minutes of action. What are you doing during that time? So we think, you know, um, prop bets and, and, you know, in-game wagering and real-time social around sports is a fascinating area. Um, and then we invest in infrastructure. So what are the core tech and tools needed in a new generation of gaming? You know, gaming gets big and you see outsized returns on investments at the intersection of a new form of distribution and a new form of monetization. You see going from a $60 console game, going to free to play Facebook games where you're making microtransactions to mobile distribution with in-app purchases and now that we're in a cloud computing era and we're moving into this you know, monetization framework of play to earn and crypto as part of the currency of the games, this is the moment in time where you'll see really outsized returns for investments in gaming. And so we're looking at all aspects of the, the game ecosystem um, and we look for you know, founders with unique insights into why the IP they're creating at this moment in time can leverage the cloud, mobile, global distribution with new fundamental economics that not only are allowing users to spend money in a game, but earn money in those games as well. And so that's kind of the, the broad strokes of, of how we look at investing in the gaming ecosystem. Now, I was reading an article and you said before that you want to meet a founder who can see a trend and has the knowledge, network and ability to execute on their vision. Um, can you talk to me about an investment that you made, um, whether it was in gaming, sports or fitness, where the operator had, you know, a unique vision about what the future looked like that caused you to want to invest and you ultimately probably did invest. Yeah, so it's a really good um, company here in New York. Um, they're based in Brooklyn. It's called Players Lounge. Um, Austin um, is a phenomenal uh, founder. You know, he created a gaming platform that allows you to connect with somebody else in the network and play them in a console game or a PC game. Um, so I can challenge you to a game of Madden, or I can challenge you to a game of FIFA, uh, 2K, Fortnite. I'll put up 10 bucks, you put up 10 bucks. You know, the winner takes 18, the house takes their 10% cut on that transaction. You know, that, you know, four or five years ago, people have been like, that's crazy. I'm gonna, you know, but we did it in the dorm room in college. Like we sat down and we had consoles and I'm like, I'll play you like the loser buys a 40. Like this is yeah. where we are, right? <laughs> and, and now you can do it. And, and I always say when people ask me about Players Lounge, I'm like, Austin was a hustler. Like he was going and setting up game nights in bars in Brooklyn. He's like, oh, you got a trivia night on Monday night? Like I cannot bring in 
a group of a FIFA meetup group and connect the consoles and have them come in and play, I'll guarantee you have foot traffic on a night that would be light for you normally. And they're going to drink and spend money. I'm going to get this. And then it's like, why am I doing this in person? I can do this online and created a platform behind that. But it was the vision of taking something and saying like, people like playing games for real money, right? Like Vegas exists for a reason. Um, you know, the lotto in the U.S., $90 billion a year. People like to play games for money. It's a natural part of what we do. And you see that with the regulatory environment shifting. You know, uh, New Jersey just hit a billion dollars in wagers. One state, billion dollars wow. in wagers in one month, right? So you talk about the amount of value that's going in. And he was like, I'm going to take it and apply it to console games, right? For hardcore cats who really like to play. And I consider that the new poker night. You used to get together with people, play poker, you hang out with your friends. Now you're just connecting online and you're playing games that you, you normally would. And so for, for real money. And so that's the type of founder, you know, that had a unique insight that was like, oh man, I got this. How do we scale it? How do we execute? Phenomenal investors on the cap table, venture funds, athletes, celebrities, you know, coming in to co-invest alongside. And I think those are the types of investments where it's almost brain dead simple and obvious of like, why isn't this happening? But somebody can see a broader transformation in the market that allows them to scale this to, you know, tens of millions of dollars in revenue. State Farm Insurance gets it. Representation alone doesn't equate to authenticity. State Farm understands and wants to help protect our communities by investing in our future, building off the hard work our parents have done before us. We all are looking to create generational wealth so that our families and generations behind us have a better starting point than we did. That begins with financial literacy. State Farm helps fund programs like Project Ready, a National Urban League program committed to the educational achievement of black and brown youth. To date, participants have been awarded over $11 million in scholarships offers as a direct result of contributions from State Farm. At Eating Wallbrook, we hear inspiring rags to riches stories on each episode from our guests, but with State Farm, you can begin to write your own success story. State Farm believes that being better neighbors creates better communities and have a long-lasting impact. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. All right, so there we were, cruising through the new open-air zoo, when I realized that the park was closing in like 15 minutes. Luckily, we were in my Nissan Rogue. With its powerful VC turbo engine, well, we had time to see all the animals. Whoa! <laughs> and outrun a few! Drive the Nissan Rogue. My dad works in B2B marketing, but I never really knew what that meant. Then one day my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man. Then he just kept saying things like, the more MQLs, the better, over and over. My friends still laugh at me to this day. I think it means marketing qualified lead. One thing's for sure, I'll be known as the MQL man's kid for the rest of my days. Why couldn't you just be a fireman or a lawyer? Why? You ruined my life, Dad. Not everyone gets B2B, but LinkedIn has the people who do. And with ads on LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people based on job title, industry, likelihood to buy, and more. Start converting your B2B audience into high-quality leads today. We'll even give you $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash customer to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash customer. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. You know, we often talk about uh, founders 
finding market opportunity to solve problems. Um, I don't necessarily think about creating gaming as like sol a problem solve. Maybe you do, and I I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. Um, like, are there yet still a lot of problems to, to be solved in this, if there are problems, or is this, is this entertainment? Like, how do you position this? Yeah, I mean, we just made an investment in a tools business um, that can take a 2D image and create a 3D asset that can be used in a game or in the metaverse. And so if you look at gaming, you have a 2D artist sketching something out, a 3D artist, you have an animator, right? The process for creating really high quality art, I mean, if you play games nowadays, you see how real, right, the players are. Um, you know, there are tons of infrastructure and technology business. I mean, we're talking about Microsoft's cloud business in gaming being a $10 billion a year business. You know, the, the lift on the backend infrastructure to power that is an incredible, right? Most people think about Epic Games for Fortnite, right? The Unreal Engine powers most of the console games in the world, right? So they have an incredibly powerful engine. And you know, I think that's part of the value. You look at Unity, publicly traded games company. It's a game engine for mobile. Um, and so when I think about you know, problems in the, uh, the ecosystem around gaming, you know, having worked in studios and launched studios before, you have to really understand what it takes to create IP, what it takes to deploy that, to launch games as a service. Right? All the ugly stuff you don't think about, leaderboards and player matching and you know, non-player characters having really sophisticated art, you know, AI uh, behind them so you can interact with them in the game. There's a lot of core tech that goes on there. And so we try to pick off the pieces of the industry and say, okay, where, are there, where is there a huge amount of dollars being spent? What are the biggest technological challenges and who are the right teams to solve those? Oftentimes they come out of studios or they come out of environments like a Riot Games or they come out of an Amazon that's seen, you know, how much games are being powered on their cloud infrastructure. And, um, you know, that's one part of the business. I think the fun and exciting part that people tend to be drawn to is, oh, here's a new game that launched and we love it and we're playing it because they're immersed in the game. But there's so much that goes on <clears throat> behind, the do behind the scenes in a studio uh, to pull that off. I've heard, heard you say before that when you take a meeting, you're looking for 10 slides in a demo, right? And um, yeah. what are the top three slides you're lasering in on? Team is always first. Um, you know, we invest at the earliest stages of a business. I've been a founder three times over. It's the hardest thing in the world to do. <laughs> it really is. Like running a successful startup, and I've only done it one out of three tries, so yeah. <laughs> speak from experience of failure here, um, that, that it's really challenging. So team is always first. Team can be repeat founders. Teams can be individuals who have domain expertise that's outsized um, in a unique perspective, like we talked about. TAM is the other one, right? Like, what is the total addressable market that you're going after? Um, you know, if you're launching a game only in New Zealand, I'm probably not your guy. You know, like, it's just too small of a market. You know, we have to return, you know, our fund to $55 million three times over, right? So I'm looking for a big market. We're going to inevitably own 10% of that company, you know, so that means you got to be a $500 million outcome. There has to be a massive market there, um, you know, and I think those are the top two. If I were to think about, uh, you know, a third component at the earliest stages, 
um, it would probably have to be past experience, right? Like what allows you to pull this off, right? Whether it's, you see a lot of people hiring out of Facebook and Google because they think they're companies that have, you know, do it well, or you see them come out of a successful startup. Your track record, and we invest in first time founders, but track record to me is not necessarily a determinant of future success, but it's a ingredient in the overall recipe that allows you to pull off what is inevitably an incredibly challenging feat. What are some of those indicators as a first time founder that you might fund that says your path, you know, gives you validity with regards to, you know, you can do this thing. Yeah. Um, it's, you know, I, I refer to it a lot as, um, you know, founder company fit, right? So I came out of working in mobile and then I worked in gaming and my first company was in mobile gaming. <laughs> like, you know, I hadn't done a startup, but I'd spent years at Microsoft. I'd worked at a bunch of startups and I was a key contributor, right? Like some people tell me, oh, I came out of Facebook. Like, you were the 18,000th employee working on like a non-meaningful product, but like, were you the lead designer on IG? Like that's different, right? And so you kind of have to know what somebody is really doing. Um, and that's where, if you're a first time founder, it's like, what is that unique insight, right? You might be at a company like a Salesforce and say, we do these three things really well, but there's a part over here that everybody's ignoring. And because we're generating billions, that can be a hundred million dollar revenue run rate business that could get us to a billion dollar valuation. Like I'm going to pick this piece off and this is why, and this is the, the platform that I've worked on. Um, so that's, you know, we look for those, like, what are the unique insights you have? What is your expertise in your network, your insight that allows you to, to, to see around the corner that nobody else has seen. And if you have that, then you then have to surround themselves. Like being a great found, like the journey of a founder in a first time founder, everybody's a first time founder at some point in time. And so what you look for is somebody who's highly coachable because you can, you know, think about the, and this is a sports analogy, but the NFL combine, you might be able to jump really high. You might be able to bench a lot. You might be able to, you know, max out on your reps, but are you gonna be great team leader? Are you gonna be able to read defenses? Like, what is your intuition? And so everything that we do, there's an art and a science to it. And so when I think about founders, you might be a great product person, you might be a great salesperson, um, you might have a unique insight, but there's a ton about leading a business you don't know. So you can be a great founder and a great entrepreneur without being a great CEO. And the journey that someone's willing to go on during this process is how do you go from a good founder or a great founder to a great CEO? And we've seen the biggest companies in the world, the best companies in the world, their CEOs mature, right? Zuck couldn't get on stage at one point in time and give a presentation. He's fine now. Gates, same thing, right? Um, Bezos, he knew when to call it a day and transition off to a chairman role and leave as CEO, right? And so they went from great founders to becoming great CEOs. And that's a path and a journey that, that, that takes years of, you know, refining. And so, so I look at coachability as one of the key factors for us. If somebody's a first time founder, that they're willing to learn that they have a, that they want to get better at this craft. They just don't want to win in the business, right? They, they actually have business goals. 
that they want yeah. to, to, to get to, and they understand that the personal growth and development leads them towards that as well. You know, you're also a founder, as you mentioned, um, and you're somewhat, you know, I would say married to particular verticals, you know, sports, gaming, you know, media, fitness. Um, what unique value do you believe you provide founders in these spaces? Because, you know, again, you're also a founder. But as a yeah. VC, what value do um, you provide? Yeah. So every founder is great at something and there's areas of improvement. And I was no different. And so what I try to work with founders on is where do you need help? Like what, what are the things, right? Like I, I hope in many of the cases that I'm not just a tactical component and another piece on the chessboard that they move around to help accelerate the business. That's the case many times and that's fine. We play that role, but you know, how do you build a good company culture, right? Like what does that mean for you? What are the values in the guiding lights and the principles that you're driving your organization towards? Like people don't think about that. They're just like, I need to hire for a role. <laughs> I need to fill a body. I need an engineer. I need a designer. I need a product manager. I need somebody who's really good at user acquisition and like run. But what are the principles and the guiding lights behind that, right? Um, in my third company, everybody's salary was known by everybody else. It's 100% transparent. Everybody's equity ownership was transparent. Every decision, every meeting we had, everybody knew everything. And we fostered, there, there was no jealousy. There was no who's making more, why. It was all benchmarked, it was all standard performance. And so, you know, PTO, do you have unlimited vacation policy? Why? How do you make sure you don't suffer burnout? What are you doing? Like, there's so many things that we try to work with founders on to create a better company because oftentimes they're so focused on the product the sales the outcomes that if you ignore the underlying components of the business you're building a house of cards that's going to crumble at some point in time so you know that's from a founder perspective you know how do you negotiate m a deals i worked in m a before right like what are valuations what are standard benchmarks like we talk to publicly traded companies we talk to private companies we talk to hedge funds we talk to other startups in the ecosystem knowledge sharing, um, expertise. Our LPs are all strategic to us. Public companies, high net worth individuals, they're pro team owners. Whatever deals we're doing, we want to be able to bring value from ourselves and from our network, and our investors. And that comprehensive package, hopefully as a board member or a board observer, oftentimes if we don't take the board seat, will add value. And so we try to do it on a personal level, we try to do it in the fund level. We work really hard for and with our founders. We consider ourselves part of the extended team and whatever we need to do that we can to support that business, we spend time. My entire Friday is always dedicated to my portfolio. Black Tech Green Money is a production of Blavity Afrotech on the Black Effect Podcast Network and iHeartMedia. It's produced by Morgan DeBond and me, Will Lucas, with additional production support by Love Beach and Marissa Lewis. A special thank you to Micah Davis, Adam Sims, and Sakara Zavanyan. You know, like the wine? Yes, that's his real name. Learn more about my guests and other tech disruptors and innovators at afrotech.com. The video version of this episode will drop to Black Tech Green Money on YouTube, so tap in. Enjoying Black Tech Green Money? Leave us a five-star rating on iTunes. Go get your money. 
Peace and love. State Farm Insurance gets it. Representation alone doesn't equate to authenticity. State Farm understands and wants to help protect our communities by investing in our future, building off the hard work our parents have done before us. We all are looking to create generational wealth so that our families and generations behind us have a better starting point than we did. That begins with financial literacy. State Farm helps fund programs like Project Ready, a National Urban League program committed to the educational achievement of Black and Brown youth. To date, participants have been awarded over $11 million in scholarships offers as a direct result of contributions from State Farm. At Eating Wallbrook, we hear inspiring rags-to-riches stories on each episode from our guests, but with State Farm, you can begin to write your own success story. State Farm believes that being better neighbors creates better communities and have a long-lasting impact. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. All right, so there we were, cruising through the new open-air zoo, when I realized that the park was closing in like 15 minutes. Luckily, we were in my Nissan Rogue. With its powerful VC turbo engine, well, we had time to see all the animals. Whoa! <laughs> and outrun a few! Drive the Nissan Rogue. AI might be the most important new computer technology ever. It's storming every industry, and literally billions of dollars are being invested. So buckle up. The problem is that AI needs a lot of speed and processing power. So how do you compete without costs spiraling out of control? It's time to upgrade to the next generation of the cloud. Oracle Cloud Infrastructure, or OCI. OCI is a single platform for your infrastructure, database, application development, and AI needs. OCI has four to eight times the bandwidth of other clouds, offers one consistent price instead of variable regional pricing, and of course, nobody does data better than Oracle. So now you can train your AI models at twice the speed and less than half the cost of other clouds. If you want to do more and spend less like Uber, 8x8, and Databricks Mosaic, take a free test drive of OCI at oracle.com strategic. That's oracle.com strategic. oracle.com strategic. Black Tech Green Money isn't just about telling the stories of successful black entrepreneurs. It's also about giving actionable and wealth-building strategies that help you protect the future of our communities. That's why we're pleased to be supported by State Farm Insurance. State Farm also believes that we must invest in our communities to achieve economic growth by sponsoring programs like the AXO, which rewards high school students for their academic achievements. State Farm believes that being better neighbors creates better communities. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. All right, so there we were, cruising through the new open-air zoo, when I realized that the park was closing in like 15 minutes. Luckily, we were in my Nissan Rogue. With its powerful VC turbo engine, well, we had time to see all the animals. Whoa! <laughs> and outrun a few! Drive the Nissan Rogue. AT&T Connects and Ode to Podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. Ten more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news, sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the driving to work in traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. 
thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories, change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. Do you dream of a healthier life, but education feels out of reach? Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School's Certified Natural Health Professional Program is the perfect entry point to gain foundational knowledge to empower yourself, your family, and your community to live healthier lives. Turn your passion into a career. Visit trinityschool.org for more info now. Got my Prevnar 20 shot. It's a pneumococcal pneumonia vaccine. For us wise folks, it helps protect. I'm 19, strong. And asthmatic and at higher risk. Get vaccinated. But but nothing when grandma speaks. Grandson listens. 19 or older with chronic conditions like asthma, diabetes, or chronic heart disease, or 65 plus, you may be at higher risk for pneumococcal pneumonia. Prevnar 20 can help protect you with just one dose. Prevnar 20 is approved for adults to help prevent infections from 20 strains of the bacteria that cause pneumococcal pneumonia. Continued approval may depend on a supportive study. Don't get Prevnar 20 if you've had a severe allergic reaction to the vaccine or its ingredients. Adults with weakened immune systems may have a lower response to the vaccine. Side effects include pain and swelling at the injection site, fatigue, headache, muscle, and joint pain. For full prescribing information, please call 1-855-213-2138 or visit Prevnar20.com. Ask your doctor or pharmacist about getting vaccinated with Prevnar20, even if you've already received another pneumococcal pneumonia vaccine.